P.S. I Love Hoffman is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Okay, Kyle, today we have our first animated film um, that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, first and only. I mean, maybe, I mean, in, this, in the third act, we're going to have uh, supposedly uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman did an episode of Arthur. Yes, Arthur. But yeah, this is our first and only animated movie. Yeah, so I just wanted to ask, um, do you have any favorite animated films, whether they be childhood, adult, or whatever? Was that the last episode that we talked about, We're Back? Oh, yeah, I think it was last week or the week before. We're Back. It had to have been last week, yeah, because definitely Charlie Kaufman didn't have any involvement (laughs) in We're Back. I don't Uh, know. So, yeah, I I would say, I'll I'll go with, uh, I always loved Land Before Time. Which Uh, one? The Great great Long Neck Migration? Just the, the, the OG. The original Land Before Time? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Petrie. <laughs> I always, I always like Spike. He knew how to eat. Uh, I had a good appetite, and Sarah was a bitch. And then, uh, an American Tale. Always loved that one. And so Fievel Goes West. So you're really into the non-Disney, like... Well, the Don Bluth, yeah, like Don those, Bluth films. The the a, yeah, a Troll in Central Park. The Amblin, uh, the Steven Spielberg animation type stuff. All Dogs Go to Heaven was another one I always That enjoyed, is a good one. Especially like the androgynous alligator in the movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and we're, we're back. That was just perfect for me because of dinosaurs. But I mean, I love Disney movies. Uh, Peter Pan and Jungle Book were like my two favorites growing up. And then with Pixar now, uh, The Incredibles and Ratatouille were like, great, great films. You mentioned yeah. Peter Pan. I mean, do you feel like you're the modern day Peter Pan? I've met some true Peter Pans out there. Like I, I am, I am someone that I, I should be more uh, mature or uh, further along in my life. I think maybe than I am. But I, I, I have in my travels and just it, uh, I have friends up in Vermont, and uh, it's very in certain areas they're, they're very Peter Pan syndrome type people. But what about you? You have to give you have to give us a few well. I, I, well, I was gonna say like I feel like the Jungle Book also profiles your life well. So that, uh, I'm not surprised that those are your, some of your two favorite Disney films. Yeah, and I always hated that Mowgli went with the people at the end of it. I was like, hang out with Baloo, he's awesome. He's a partier. Well, in the new one, he kind of still hangs out with his friends. In the, yeah, in the John Favreau. Like, yeah. yeah, the live action one. No, nah, hmm. we're talking, yeah. For me, favorite animated films, well, yeah, I mean, I love all the Disney classics. I, I, yeah. I am a Disney guy. I'll, I'll watch, like, you know, from Snow White to freaking Hercules, you know. I really like Mulan. That's one of my faves. Ooh, but they're doing a live action of that. Yeah, screw that. I'm not into these live action <laughs> things. I did like the John Favreau one, but there's too many of these live action things coming out. But let's see. Uh, this is kind of an, I would say, an adult animated film we're talking about today. I'm trying to think if there's any... I mean, when we say animated, we just don't mean drawn, right? Oh, because you brought up computer-generated uh, films. I really like Team America World Police. That was a fun one. Well, that's um, Puppeteer, though. Yeah, but that's still, that's still... I mean, this is closer to puppeteer than animated. Sure. No, that's very true, since this is a claymation, yeah. Well, yeah, so we have to... Come on, Fantastic Mr. Fox, then. That's Oh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's How could I forget pr- that? That's probably, like, my most favorite stop-motion, claymation-type kind of thing. Isle of Dogs is coming out from Wes Anderson, too. That should be interesting. Should be interesting, yeah. Um. Oh, so there's an old film. I don't know if you've seen it. It's kind of an adulty film. It's it's based on the book Watership Down. It's um these rabbits and they have this whole Oh yeah. We have a we have a friend that loves that. It it's a it's a good uh film. But regardless, yeah, I mean uh let's talk about this one then, huh? Let's get into it. Iggy Pop! 
Man! Let it ride! I'm a fucking idiot! Red meat, we crave sustenance. I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Jimmy Cooley. Why don't you have some fun? Fun! Tommy, that's a cave thing. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish! <laughs> I'm always home, I'm on cool. This is a process of dehypnotization. Shut, 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 shut up! Hey, Hoff fans, welcome to this week's edition of the PSI Love Hoffman podcast, our love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. We're always home, we're always uncool, we're always ready to talk great movies. And today, as we just mentioned, we have an animated film, our first and only animated film on the podcast, Max and Mary. Or Mary and Max. I always do that. I keep yeah, no, I, I want them. I want to say that too, Max and Mary, but maybe, then. Maybe it's because our guy, Philip Seymour Hoffman, is the voice of Max and we want to put him first, but nope. Mary and Max. No, and the title of that uh, of the other characters played by Tony Collette, who, you know, once uh, seeing that she was doing a voice in this, she's another great actress, you know, that I uh, I, I feel like you know we, you know we've just been talking once our our Godfathers at the Cage Club decide to do Charlize Theron, it just really came up in my mind, and then last week covering Doubt with Meryl Streep, there's just so many obviously uh, gifted actresses that this but uh tony collette in particular would be someone i would enjoy podcasting about yeah she she's fun she's great and to be clear though i mean philip Seymour hoffman plays max throughout the entire film and tony collette only plays the adult mary oh is that true yeah yeah oh okay i thought that they just did like you know a thing with her uh like voice to make it no there's just some child act actor played oh interesting so he plays max jerry horowitz the whole time yes max jerry horowitz and definitely want to talk about that i mean let's get right into this one kyle what's this one about Whew. okay mary and max came out in 2009 and it is about mary a lonely self-conscious girl living in australia decides to write a letter to a random new yorker max an overweight middle-aged formerly jewish atheist who lives alone yes that's pretty that sums it up so this is a stop motion animation film yeah claymation claymation and, and puppetry elements by he's an acclaimed Australian director. His name is Adam Elliott, and he's very popular in Australia for these kinds of things. He actually won an Oscar for a short film. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, didn't do a lot of research this week, Kyle. I could tell. <laughs> no, I, I no, I, I. So I didn't see that for. I mean, this film didn't really get any award uh recognition it did play at sundance and the one one of the few trivia facts i have is that it was the first animated film to open for sundance gotcha yeah that's that's pretty cool uh yeah so adam elliott won an oscar for best animated short for a film called harvey crumpet which i've never seen but it looks very similar and then uh animation style yeah all of us did because before then i think this is still the only feature he's ever done all besides that are all animated shorts so gotcha and i i don't know if you guys have heard of this film maybe not it does have a cult following um but it only was released in australia in wide release certain independent theaters caught it 
in the United States here where we broadcast from. But Yeah, and it played in a lot of festivals. But. Festivals, yes. So this has a 95% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. 95%. That's I think, might be his highest-rated film. 92% audience, so there's not a big drop-off. The people who saw this film liked this film. I don't know how many people saw it. It didn't seem to make too much money, but it, it, it was. it's a very critically acclaimed film. I mean, in a world where we're every every movie now is held to, uh, or even at least I should say through advertising, they hold the Rotten Tomato score up for everybody, and that's been in the spotlight. I think we've kind of mentioned it before, but definitely again recently with that movie, uh, I still have not yet to see it, and I do want to see it. But Lady Bird was is the most perfectly scored film of all time, and then even uh, one critic didn't like that so much that he. L- specifically uh, gave it a Rotten Tomato just so it it wouldn't have as perfect of a 100 score. Yeah, I I don't think it's as good for measuring films that come out now. Like, is Get Out better than Gone with the Wind? Exactly. You know, I I think that now that people are being measured by it, people are less, critics, I should say, are less ready to take chances in terms of they don't want to be the one critic who ruins the Rotten Tomato score. When before, like even when this film came out, I, I don't think... It's mostly Australian critics, because again, it came out in Australia. I don't think mm-hmm. any. And they're just drunk all the time. So. Uh, yes, okay. No. <laughs> they go to Outback Steakhouse all the time. Yeah. Drive <laughs> Subarus. <laughs> yeah, Subaru. Just because Paul Hogan was... Like, I always thought so Subaru bad. was an Australian vehicle. It makes sense that the time. logo kind of looks like the Australian flag, so... Yeah. <laughs> brilliant marketing, Australia. Brilliant marketing, or Subaru, <laughs> Japanese, whatever. Anyway, um, but this yeah, no, I, I I agree. Like, I mean, it's always the world of Rotten Tomatoes. It's always going to be like even just the critics over time that'll fare better than the audience, just because your everyday person is going to watch Jaws now and be like, that shark wasn't believable. I don't like this movie. Yeah, versus yeah. a critic, a critic will be able to go and be like, "That was a fan fucking tastic movie." Uh, so and we hope, you know. So we hope. Um, yes. So ab- about this film, had you seen it before? I had not seen it before, and it's not that uh, I, I, I've, I've never really enjoyed claymation per se. Like <laughs> you, I, I, you weren't like a up, Rankin and Bass like. No, I've never, like, freaking Wallace and Gromit, never got into it. I mean, you never uh, watched the Christmas movies? Though, though, no, I, I like the... I'm a jack-in-the-box, but my name's Charlie. <laughs> I want to be a dentist. I love that. That's always been one of your best... Uh, <laughs> best voices. Yeah. You've I've been waiting to really this well. moment to throw in my jack-in-the-box voice. Yeah. And I'm not oh, feeling so too good. well, so, so it's not even my peak game, but... One day, when we, do, when, yeah. one day when we do our Claymation podcast. Uh, okay, I was just going to say I do a really good Andre the Giant when I eat a roast beef sandwich. But that's, <laughs> um, that's your next it, podcast, it, by the way. Yeah, just doing voices and what what foods make me sound like what people. Um, but <laughs> So, yeah, I was never... I, I, I never... L- got into those is like i'm not i also i don't like anime i'm very specific when it comes to my animation like even like uh, just certain things like i was never a big fan of even like mike judges per se i think king of the hill is hilarious but i just don't like necessarily the way that animation looks so i've just been i'll be the first one to admit it like someone can call me out and be like screw you man but it's just like i'm very 
picky in the forms of animation or claymation or stop motion and all that stuff. So you were saying you were not a fan of this film. I I see how this is really good, but it just like it t- it took a lot of me like to watch this and to, like it seemed a lot longer than an hour and a half. That's I fair. think it's because of also the style that it's pretty much narration and even voiceover the whole time. You know, it's not like we're seeing like they definitely made it easier on themselves that we're not seeing, you know, the claymation characters like mouthing the words, which I can only imagine. I can't or I can imagine like how time consuming that is. So then maybe that saved them. Some, maybe that saved them some time, or maybe that was a stylistic choice. Who knows? Yeah, I know. I know where you're coming from. I I really liked this film. I thought it was very well made. It definitely, and it's weird because like I think we see animated films a lot through the lens of like pop films like or or films made for kids but uh-huh. this definitely felt like an art piece for me you know oh definitely yeah i mean it was be- it was beautiful in the sense it's well it's also black and white for the most part like all of max's stuff is yeah and it's i mean you get the occasional like bits of color a la Schindler's List. Not to bring up that. Movie. <laughs> that's that's a tough uh, comparison. No, but you know what I mean. Like, no, I know, I know. The red right there, like it, it, Yeah, the red pom pom on his yarmulke. Yeah, I don't know if it was a callback to that because he was Jewish. I hope I hope it wasn't. But but um, it, it's it's a very pretty movie. It's a very artistic movie. It's one of these things where like, yeah, I definitely see the merit in it. Will I watch it again? I'm not sure because I'm. Like like you, I'm not so into these kind of animated films, but maybe mm-hmm. maybe like down the road, I definitely would suggest it for certain people I know who are into this kind of animation. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I would suggest it for that. I would suggest it for someone that uh, loves our main man, Philip Seymour Hoffman, because it, it, it's a very good voice performance by him. Um, and I yeah. think it's an interesting. I mean, this this movie on the thematic level, and I'm not this smart. I mean, I could could have written some of this down, but I did, you know, write this down from. Uh, I think when just like doing research and whether this was on IMDb or Wikipedia, talking about what themes. But this film is chock full of like heavy themes, just of uh, childhood neglect to addiction and depression, uh, isolation, anxiety, mental illness. Yeah, like this is, Yeah, exactly. Like, it, yeah, exa- like that's what they finally he's diagnosed with. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it, even, like, I, I kind of laughed, but it's just like one of the themes that was also written down, obscurity of life. And I'm like, Jesus, like, it, but it, it really does. Like, I mean, there were certain moments that like got me, like I didn't tear up, but I definitely went like, like you know just got like a little like emotional and specifically for the character of mary and just like i felt you know i was like a portraying like a little girl i felt bad for just her whole life and it was just really it's a sad story in a way i'm not gonna say that most animated films aren't emotional because these recent pixar ones really pull at your heartstrings oh even the old disney ones they kill moms off in every one i mean yeah. it's just like but this is a different kind of heavy topic you know this isn't like going back to child it is yes there's like bullying and aspects like that but again just to deal with like mental illness the way it does it's yeah. it's I, I, you know what i'm happy that this artist and that's what i'll call him this artist was able to do his craft and get such critical acclaim for it 
He's not somebody, he, he says he'll never do a commercial film. He doesn't want to do a commercial film. So he just wants to do his art. And I do respect him for that. Can I tell you what I like about this man? And like, without, I mean, so you've read more about him than I, than I have, but all, one of the, again, this is the last little bit of trivia I read, and it said, uh, a tomb over from the character of Ruby when she passes away and we see her tombstone, uh, right next to it reads, rest in peace, rest in peace, uh, Adam Elliot, and the epitaph is very overrated. <laughs> So I like a man that is like self-deprecating and totally, you know, like isn't reading into himself and his success and people telling him that he's like this genius artist. And I'm not saying he isn't, but I just I respect a guy like that. No, so. he's he's uh he's humble, you know. He he's a bit able to poke fun at himself. And even with his sense yes. of humor, you can tell he's a, he's he has a a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, so this cast, just want to go over the the uh, narrator is some guy named Barry Humphreys, yes, um, Australian. Tony Collette, as he mentions, it, uh, Australian. So the young Mary was played by a Bethany Whitmore. Okay. She is a child actress from you guessed it, Australia. Well, she's currently okay. eighteen, so I guess she's not a child anymore. But she was a child when she did this, and. Again, not a big cast, but Eric Bana we get. Yeah, he Australian. has. Yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, voiceover role for Damien, who becomes uh, Mary's love interest and husband. Damien Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos, yeah, another great <laughs> Greek name in our film. Yes, you're a big fan of of Jesse from Full House. Jesse. Oh yeah, Kostopoulos. <laughs> Kostopoulos. But, but, but I love no the first season. It was we we always talk about this on the side. It was Jesse Cochran. Yeah, and it's like and oh then, that's a stage then he name. Cha- then yeah, exactly. Then he like said as the character, oh like that was a stage name. He wants to get back to Ketsopolis because of his Greek roots. And well, obviously that was much more of a John Stamos because he wanted to celebrate his Greekness. Yeah. <laughs> so other cast people, I'll just say everyone might as well. Renee Geyer as Vera, the mother. Okay. Um, another Australian Ian Meldrum as the homeless man and just various other people provided additional voices Julie Forsythe, John Flaus not people I'm really particularly too familiar with the people I know are are Tony Collette, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Eric Bana yeah, people I'm not familiar with and then also you know, again, the the actual speaking roles are very little except for our narrator and then uh, Mary and Max. Yeah, and then, absolutely. And then Damien briefly at the end. But, uh, I mean, it's our narrator that has the largest speaking Yeah, role. Barry Humphreys. Um, did you see this trivia fact? that Of the... Uh, oh, just speaking of animated and Pixar and stuff like that, that they did voices together on Finding Nemo? Yes, yes. That Barry Humphreys and Eric Bana were the Australian sharks in Finding Nemo. Yes. So that that's cool. That's the only thing I guess I know Barry Humphreys from. He is an Australian comedian, actor, satirist, artist, and author. He's very famous in Australia, apparently. So, I, always, I always love the Aussies. You so. do. You're a big Aussie fan. Um, so shout out to your Aussies next time you travel. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what did you think of Philip Seymour Hoffman's voice in this? You, you, you can tell it's him, but he definitely is transformed. Uh, formative as far as taking on this. I mean, so he's 
he wasn't even it's what he's he's an immigrant right it, i think it went early on in the movie that he says that you know before they moved so I, I, I believe so if not he he definitely lived on a kibbutz in israel as a child at one point okay um <laughs> so yeah i mean he definitely he took on you know that of the uh neurotic jewish type uh you know voice and i i mean he did he did a good job i mean the character of max is just so many things going on with him and he has so many problems and uh i think he conveyed it very well yeah i mean one thing i mean it probably is biggest stretch of a voice i mean it helps that you're not seeing him do it you know like so it's not like a body transformation necessarily but i don't think he i mean he's a guy who plays with his voice a lot and i guess capote would really be it but this is yes. this is up there in terms of oh this is the next because it's not just an accent like you can see like and that's uh, since it is an animated film he got to do I can just only imagine that he got to do a lot physically like just as far as like right now I'm just like keeping my arms like close next to my body just you know like you know what I'm saying just to make yourself feel tense when you like to create a voice like you just transform your body oh yeah for sure it didn't sound like he was like hiding behind a voice or just like doing this for fun or anything like it it definitely like he committed to this you could tell yeah i'm very curious i wish i I wish there was more information on this movie because i tried you know i read the wikipedia page and i was trying to find some interviews with him i just wanted to find out how uh because it's not like he worked with tony collette before something like that or or this director so uh, you know, I would love to find out how he got. I tried to, I tried to find out, and I couldn't really see anything about like how he got attached to this role. It could have been as simple as something like, "Hey, Phil, th- like this is a great artist. Do you want to work with him for a week, or however long it takes to do this?" You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not it's diminishing another- it, but there isn't a, a lot of dialogue, even for him. No, I mean, and it's another uh, New York role for him, so. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so the only thing I did see about this, and it's something that we might have talked about off-air, on-air, but one quote, I think it was in a GQ article, he was talking, someone asked him, like, what films of his that his kids can see, and he, he wasn't sure if there was any that his kids could see yet, and then he made a joke, like, I even did an animated film, uh, Mary and Max, and, you know, a guy a guy kills himself in it, so so I don't think they'll be able to see that one for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this film has... Uh, some, I mean, how many people? A lot of people die in this movie. It's a, it's realistic like that. It's not a realistic film, of course, but it, it's realistic. Like, it's a, it's morbid like that. Certainly, I, I want to preface this: this is not a kids' film. We say animated, but this is not a children's film. No, I I would like to say that. Uh, did this remind you in some ways of like a P.T. Anderson film? Because it did for me, just in the quirky and like the the dialogue or even honestly pt anderson wes anderson uh noah Baumbach, like uh who's another director i feel like we've uh talked about you know just in this style oh um uh nebraska help me out oh alexander payne yeah alexander payne exactly so he's just another director that like i i just they have that uh almost very great like dialogue about detail in a way like what's going detail on detail and humanity you know yes yeah the human condition 
if you will. They're very good at that. Yes, it did remind me of Wes Anderson, and it did remind me of one uh, P.T. Anderson film in particular. Believe it or not, even though it's a very different length and very different subject matter, it had, like, tones of Magnolia. Yeah, no, it did, as far... Yeah, like, Magnolia, talk about, I mean, how much of the beginning of that film was, like, those three different stories on thematic levels that'll play throughout the film. So, very similar in that retrospect. So yeah, so I I definitely think like he does a he does a great job voice wise here. Um, I, I was kind of shocked because at this point he's won an Oscar, right? Uh, I'm talking mm-hmm. about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, we say this a lot, but he could he doesn't seem like a guy who ever mails it in because he could easily mail it in here. I wasn't sure how much of in the like how much dialogue he was even going to have in the movie because it really seemed at the beginning like it was just going to be mostly the narrator. And I thought this might be like um, just to harken back to his performance in Strangers with Candy, where he was only in it like partially, and he kind of was a little bit in one of his caricatures. Yeah, the only thing that gave me kind of like faith that it wasn't just that was that the movie's called Mary and Max and his character is Max. Yeah, of course, but you don't know these things. No, yeah, exactly. But I was just, I I agree with you because the whole, like the first, I I, I mean, I, I wrote it down. It's six, he's, he starts speaking. He's even in it like a little earlier, but he finally starts speaking. Like you hear his voice at like 16, almost 17 minutes into the film. So. Yeah, so it's not like chock full of Philip Seymour Hoffman here, but it's certainly. Uh, we usually do this at the end, but I would say it's certainly worth a watch. Watch if you're a Philip Seymour Hoffman fan, because it's it's yeah, the only no. time you get to see him do this, if you will. Again, unless you count Arthur, <laughs> <laughs> we, which we haven't watched yet, but we will. Yes. So I mean, let's let's I guess get into this film a little bit. I mean, there's not. It's kind of a weird film, not too much to discuss. You 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 said it with your little synopsis, but so it's about uh basically two main characters. Uh, Mary, who's like a little girl in Australia. Yeah, she thinks she's supposed to be around like 8 years old in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, she distinctly has a uh brown birthmark on her forehead. Yes. And this is a period piece. It start it takes place in 1972 most of it. Yeah, yeah, at the beginning, yeah. Um, yeah, so she's just, like, she has a birthmark, and, again, this, this is, like, the weird, like, humor that, uh, again, I'm saying for, from Alexander Payne to Wes Anderson, but it's, like, the color of poo. Yes. Like, and then she wears a mood ring that was gray. It actually, you know, it reminds me, Alec, especially, because the narration, uh, Alec Baldwin and Royal Tenenbaums. That's fair, Yeah. And, you know, she makes her own toys out of, like, even scraps of food and stuff like that. Um, And then she, I mean, she's told by her dad that babies are found at the bottom of beers. That's just imagine, I feel like that's, like, a thing Australians tell one another all the time. Yeah, didn't that feel very Australian? It did. It felt (laughs) just like a good, I know they don't drink Fosters down there, but, like, a good, you know, liter of Fosters and find a baby at the bottom of it. it th- this There's one thing, again, I'm not going to say I'm an expert at world comedy or even Australian comedy, but this film felt very... I know it is Australian, but it felt very Australian, didn't it? Like, Oh, yeah. This is... There's certain uh, cultures that, like, when you have filmmakers from there that are commenting on their area, like even... Um, I'm going to uh, butcher his name right now, but Taika Watiti, 
you know the the Thor director. Yes, like his his his. He's from New mom. Zealand, right? Yes, he's from New Zealand. Don't want to mess up the Kiwis with the Aussies. I wasn't I wasn't leaning towards that, but he's just another recent director that with his film Hunt for Wilder People or even his movie uh what or uh mockumentary What We Do in the Shadows since it takes place in uh New Zealand, like they're just very commenting on that like, you know, the land and the culture versus, you know, I, I haven't seen a New York movie in a while that I'm like, you know, that's like typical like commenting on New York. But this does a really good job on New York. Uh, Especially as as, 70s New York, you know. Yeah, I love that it cuts to this fake, you know, welcome to New York sign and then it's just freaking gunshots light it up. It just, <laughs> it just, it just made me really think of uh, Wayne's World in front of the green screen. It's like, alright, let's go see a Broadway show and shoot somebody. Yeah, it's like, we're from New York. I got a gun. Let's see a show. Yeah, I got a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, yeah, this film does a really great job uh, just as far as depictions. And it's, yeah, no, it's uh, maybe I'm growing to like it more, but I don't know. <laughs> Not that I didn't like it. I guess it's just. It, it, you hated it, it. it. No, it just it took, a, it took a lot. It took a toll. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe, maybe it's like meant to in a way. It just, no, like, I, think, it's, I think that's right. Yeah. I think it's meant to take like an emotional toll here. I, a lot of people on the internet said they like cried at this film. You mentioned it does get emotional. Yeah. So I mean, but and it just and as far as even it's you know we have a narrator speaking a lot in the beginning, and I don't even really think we hear Mary's voice at all really in the beginning, and then once we get to New York, um we don't hear Max's voice. We just see him acting out his life. And then once we cut back, cause it very, just, you know, for most, for the most part, it goes Australia, New York, Australia, New York. And then once we get to this moment of the post office, which we've already learned that, uh, Mary's mom, she steals a lot of things and she's drunk on Sherry all the time, uh, that she's stealing some, letters or something like that envelopes of the post office but uh at that moment mary since she's very lonely decides to seize like a telephone book and randomly selects a name and specifically she cho- she chooses new york right because she sees the statue of liberty like in some kind of picture she's interested by it so then she just finds a uh, a random name in the telephone book and ends up being uh max horowitz yes max horowitz what's his full name max jerry horowitz jerry a yeah. um, couple things uh, at the beginning it says based on a true story yes oh yeah that's the last little bit of trivia that oh more trivia <laughs> you say that's not true 100% correct right no I was going to say had... it's a little ridiculous <laughs> yeah I mean it, it, the long story short is that the director had a a pen pal they call it a pen friend uh in new york for over 20 years so that's just where the idea of the film comes from i don't know it didn't go into the detail of like if the friend was that much older or whatever but i mean that was just a bigger thing to do even in like the 60s and 70s i know my mom even kind of it was a thing for uh people to write to soldiers in vietnam uh, just like that was something they did in the parochial schools, and so she like reached out to like a soldier and was pen pals with a soldier for a while. That's cool. So, um, do you want to get into Max a bit, since that's Philip Seymour Hoffman's character? Um, we we touched on this a little. He, uh, he's 
very obese. He yeah, and only and only and keeps getting bigger and bigger throughout the film. He just eats and eats and eats, and like that's what he does. He has no friends. We should add that they both have no friends. That's kind of their like tying the thing that yeah, ties them together. Definitely, I love uh, that he has two TVs. One that's large that has no picture, and one that's small that has pictures. So it's like the small ones on top of the big one. And yeah. The small <laughs> one There's all these little like details and quirks that are really like nice about this film. Yeah, that just give you. It just makes the world, you know, for since it's not realistic looking, you know, figures. You know, there's some like now between. I know the Pixar looks realistic, but you know what I'm saying. Like there's, I'm. Uh, it's just. They don't look human. <laughs> no, and no, but it, it, it's art. Yeah, it's art, and it, but but I think these moments of like all this great detail just gives you a chance for like anybody to be like, oh, I know someone like that, and then just also lets you understand that person that much more, even if you know don't know someone like that. Um, but yeah, Max. I mean, his whole thing was his thing: chocolate hot dogs. So it's like a hot dog bun with just like. A chocolate bar right in the middle of it, and he's, yeah, he'll set he'll send the recipe to her. So, Kyle, why don't we play a clip from this? Um, so, uh, like you said, just introduce this clip. She she's in the post office. She she meets um, she doesn't meet Max. She finds Max randomly, and she writes him this long letter. This kind of like cute little letter, and it's it, at the end she asks the question. Uh, where do babies come from? And like you mentioned, she mentioned that they come from beer in Australia or at, at the bottom of beer. Um, so, so in when Max gets this, he's kind of has like a panic attack. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. I, I love that. You know, he goes, uh, you know, into his apartment building and he checks his mailbox, and then it's still the narrator talking at this point. And one of my favorite, it says, uh, the narrator says about Max, uh, flirting is as foreign as jogging. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, and, and then we finally get to hear Max's voice when he starts uh, reading this letter and responding to Mary. So, yeah, we'll play uh, the first uh, letter when he starts writing back to her. <laughs> Dear Mary Daisy Dinkle, thank you for the letter, which I opened and read at 9.17 p.m. after my Overeaters Anonymous class. I am trying to lose weight because my psychiatrist, Dr. Bernard Hasselhoff, says a healthy body equals a healthy mind. Ooh. He says my mind is not that healthy. Your drawing is an interesting visual portrayal of yourself. I have never met anyone from Australia. Firstly, I will answer your question. Unfortunately, in America, babies are not found in cola cans. I asked my mother when I was four, and she said they came from eggs laid by rabbis. If you aren't Jewish, they're laid by Catholic nuns. If you're an atheist, they're laid by dirty, lonely prostitutes. So this is where babies come from in America. So, yeah, I mean, great clip. If you haven't seen the film and you're just listening to our podcast, that is Philip Seymour Hoffman's voice saying that letter. So that you get a good, real, like, meaty example of, of his vocal effort here. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, you can just you just hear i feel like you you hear a physical transformation even of just him in like i feel like an audio recording booth uh you know just really trying to convey this character um but yeah i i i I really i enjoyed this scene because it does this great little like the music starts playing the music in this movie is really good um yeah yeah i mean one of the scores sounded familiar to me like I hadn't heard it before, but it, like I mean, I think I haven't seen this movie before, but it really sounded familiar to me. Um, it, yeah, it did. It did. The sound one that was familiar. like the upbeat one. Yeah, and uh, I, I I didn't look to see. I mean, it's definitely. I don't think they would have taken it from somewhere. No, else, I don't think so either. Maybe, but whatever. Maybe it was nominated, and we heard it at the Oscars or something. No, I don't think that, but. I also, you know, actually, no, this is a big thing. You know what I think it's really used in? I know we've both watched this. You know, there's, like, that really good, like, 20-minute long, like, in memory of Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, throughout all of his films. Oh, you think it was in that? That's possible. I th- I think it's used underneath there. Hmm. But, um, yeah, so, but I love that he's, like, they use, like, him typing on the typewriter to like the same rhythm and everything as like this upbeat song or whatever when he gets when he realizes oh I should write back to this little girl and you know make a friend um but of course again just like in its quirkiness and we said that she, I mean she asks Max about like where babies come from because she you know in Australia it's the bottom of a beer glass and in America she's thinking maybe it's in a soda can uh but he says that eggs. He was told that uh, eggs laid by rabbis, uh, nuns, or dirty, lonely prostitutes. <laughs> what an image! And I say what an image, but we see all these things on the screen. That's the beauty of an of an animated film or stop motion animation. However, is that like in other films you just get the lines and you imagine it, but but this like you're allowed to see the artists like what the artist is picturing here. Yeah, um, and I mean, again, we just, this is just, we really, I mean, we've learned something about Max at this point, but just through his voice, you get to learn him that much better, and we learn that his dad left him, and his uh, mom killed herself, and that we, uh, just even his, like, little weird sense of humor of that, you know, well, he gets uh, very annoyed at uh, people, you know, littering the cigarette butts, and that they'll flow out into the sea, and then fish get a nicotine addiction, and he's <laughs> like, uh, of course that's not true, because they wouldn't be able to have lighters, and they don't have pockets to hold the lighters underneath the water, and all that kind of stuff. And this is the first, like, I didn't know he had Asperger's, this is the first time I kind of... Well, again, it's the first time we hear him. But it makes sense, because like, I know a couple people with Asperger's. Mm-hmm. And this makes sense, you know, just in terms of the... I don't want to call it rambling, because I feel like it demeans it, but... No, but like fo- like I- extreme focus. Yeah, that, I mean, that's fair. I mean, again, I don't know enough about the disease to comment specifically, but it just it reminds me of people I know with Asperger's. And again, this is just a very interesting role and maybe something that drew Philip Seymour Hoffman to it because it's another role that's about an addictive like character in a way. Maybe because I mean this in this case the character has a form of like, you know, like a mental illness or mental disease, I should say. Um and but like, you know, besides that, I think 
he just like from the, his eating habits and that kind of stuff he has uh signs of addiction yeah certainly the the food addiction every time he has like a panic attack he reaches for food to help him um i love it i love him how much he talks about his psychiatrist yeah or like he refers to him by his full name i really loved that detail yeah, that's if there's anything to take away from this film is just like the attention to detail, and I I think that's I've never seen any of this uh, director's shorts, but I just feel like he's a very that's that's his style. Yeah, so th- this this film goes in kind of a pattern with these letters. Once she gets well, first the letter back, her mother is furious and rightfully so. I mean, you understand if like a a man in his forties or fifties writes like a little girl back. That's freaking weird. Yeah. It's a little weird. So the mother is upset. So she, she has the mail rerouted to her neighbor who's an agoraphobic, but she calls it homophobic. Homophobic. Yeah. (laughs) Because he lost his legs in the war. Right. Yeah, in World War Two, to even again that this little character that I mean, you know, there is a realm to like. I mean, he has like a theme throughout the movie, and he eventually gets over his agoraphobia. But um, just that he lost his legs in World War Two, and specifically because the soldiers had like the cage over a river that had. Uh, piranhas in it, and piranhas are goldfish with sharp teeth. Like, that's the amount of detail we get in this movie. Yeah, which is amazing again. So, uh, Mary writes him back, and it's... it's, This is the part that I got a little choked up over. She writes about love, right? She asks about love and stuff like that? Yeah, and then the last line is, have you ever been teased? Yeah, Yeah, that's what it is. Have you ever been teased? And of course, when... When Max reads this, he has another ang- severe anxiety attack, and he ends up being, um, I think it's for like eight months, it says, like he's hes in the hospital because of this. Yeah, well, there's that that's after the, uh, one other letter, so I think they wrote oh. like three times, yeah. So it's like, after she asks, has he ever been teased, he gives the advice of... Uh, her saying that she'd be in charge of chocolate in heaven, and he would love to be in charge of chocolate. Oh in yes, that's I forgot because about the he's an atheist. Letter. Yeah, that yeah. he won't be. Oh, that's great. Yeah, um, and then he asked her if she has any weight loss suggestions. That's right. And then Mary asks, and it's very interesting it, about sexing, not sexting, because obviously that doesn't exist yet. Uh, but sexing. Uh, which is very there were a few moments where with like because it's an Australian character like I've heard Australians like say a few of these words that aren't common in our uh, syntax so it was just amusing on its own Australians say sexing? yeah oh I thought that was like her little girl language no it's just like you know yeah that's just like a way of I don't know like doing it sexing Sexing, interesting. Like we say, doing it, you know, do it. I, I hope that's helpful in your travels, Kyle. <laughs> but no comment. <laughs> but um, so yeah, sorry. So I missed that because he also wins the the lottery, but that's after he's out of the hospital, correct? After the- yes. Yeah, so uh, the sexing is what particularly pushes him over because, the edge because because he's never he's had a very. It. Yeah, he's a very... Yeah, exactly. He's a very lonely man. I mean, yeah, he even says, oh, because at one point he goes through all of his jobs 
and he's just like, I won't talk about my seventh job, which is working in a condom factory, and it's because I never, I've never used them. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that he's suggesting that he doesn't have unprotected sex. I think he's suggesting that he's never had sex. So, uh, <laughs> the character of Max has uh, an extreme sorry, anxiety I just to attack. Quote Rocky from Rocky Two. Oh please! <laughs> so he's like <laughs> Gazo. I think it's a gangster, and he's like Rocky. I'm gonna get you some safe investments, like condominiums. And he's like, I don't use them. <laughs> Never use. Yeah, that, that's what it made. That's what it made me think of, and I'm sure that is not what the director intended. But whatever. No, this is well, this is very similar to the Rocky franchise. <laughs> um, movies with characters' names in them. Yes. Boom! Right there. Uh, so, so the sexing made Max very uh, anxious and has like a whole anxiety attack over the letters. And has a nervous breakdown, and yes, is away for eight months as like a mental patient. Um, and this really hurts Mary. Yeah, she she thinks she, like he's just abandoned her, or she said something to offend him. Um, but like out of this, he wins the lottery and he buys all those noblet, uh, those noblets. I guess that's the TV yes. show they both watch. Yeah, so that's the other one other thing that they have in common. They both. Uh, um, enjoy this noblets. What did I like? You know, it's supposed to be like a Smurf esque kind of world, I guess. What uh, were his three goals in life? To have a lifetime supply of chocolate. Oh yes, which he gets. Own all the noblets and which to is. have a friend, not an imaginary one. Yes. So these are his goals. Because he is an imaginary friend, Mr. Ravioli. <laughs> yes, it was like a looks like a prospector. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he looked like I was gonna say it looked like a Western, like yeah, pro- prospector. <laughs> But so he he gets the lifetime supply of chocolate. He gets the noblets, and he gives the rest of his money to that like blind neighbor of his, who ends up yeah, Ruby, yeah. dying in a jetpack accident. Yeah, and then she left it to somebody else, I think, or something like that. Yeah, oh, to it just to some charity. It's yeah. just funny that he doesn't use the money. But then he finally kind of realizes that he, you know, he wants that third goal, which is a friend. So he writes Mary back, and uh, let's let's play that clip. Yeah, he explains uh, his uh, how he's been recently diagnosed with Asperger's. Recently, while I was in a mental institution, they diagnosed that I have a new thing called Asperger's syndrome, which is a neurobiological pervasive developmental disability. I prefer Aspie for short. I will now list some of the traits of an Aspie. Number one, I find the world very confusing and chaotic because my mind is very literal and logical. Two, I have trouble understanding the expressions on people's faces. When I was younger, I made a book to help me when I was confused. I still have trouble with some people. Ivy was hard to understand because of her wrinkles and because her eyebrows weren't real. Three, I have bad handwriting. I'm hypersensitive, clumsy, 
I can get very concerned. Four. I like solving problems. Ivy said this is a good thing. And finally, number five, I have trouble expressing my emotions. Dr. Bernard Hasselhoff says my brain is defective, but one day there will be a cure for my disability. I do not like it when he says this. I do not feel disabled, defective, or a need to be cured. I like being an Aspie. It would be like trying to change the color of my eyes. There is one thing I wish I could change, however. I wish I could cry properly. Hmm. I squeeze and squeeze, but nothing comes out. I cry when I cut onions, but this does not count. So I think this is, this is an interesting clip. Again, you, you hear his voice a lot. Um, uh, it's it's interesting because this, this to me separates it from being like I know there's these anxiety attacks, but they're they're not. It they're kind of a little humorous. This to me brings it to like a serious level because they're actually talking about a serious disorder. Yeah. No, it, and it was like, I know it's not meant to sub- be like a surprise or whatever to us, but it is like a bit of like how you said, like once you knew it was like made sense, it was like a Kaiser Sose moment of just like, oh yeah, okay, he was he has Asperger's and that that's what, you know, makes him have a lot of these, uh, like little, like the, from the little ticks that he has to his social anxiety and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I like how he's able to just like articulate it, you know. Like, yeah, like it, it almost makes sense to him. Well, that's the whole thing. That's like one of the, I mean, the scarier and like more unfortunate things is that like a lot of the people like recognize that they that they have this and then they're not good at communicating, but just like still like just like can't get it out because they're just like nervous or I mean just just a. A whole list of reasons that it's hard for them to socialize and just start a conversation with somebody. Yeah, uh, so it kind of uh, it kind of inspires her too, um, because eventually she'll go to college and study Asperger's. Yeah, unfortunately, Mary's dad dies, um, and, and then her he, mother. Yes, but he leaves her some money, so she decides to go to university. And while she's there, she, she's studying, uh, you know, m- mental disease and stuff like that. Uh, she gets a, her birthmark removed as well. And then uh, her mom dies because she is, you know, constantly drinking sherry and unfortunately drinks. Because the dad had a weird hobby, too, right? Of like. Uh, Embalming uh, birds. Yeah. Like he was a taxidermist on the side. Yeah. So she drinks some formaldehyde or something like that, I think. Yeah, she uh, thinks it's the uh the cooking sherry, sherry yeah. yeah. And uh yeah, so her mom passes and then but it's you know, like Mary's in a really good place. Her like self esteem is an all time high. She throws the mood ring right into the grave and she marries uh Damien, who was the Greek boy uh played by Eric Bana again. Played by Eric Bana that uh lives right next door and she's 
had a crush on her whole life besides wanting to marry a Scottish man named Earl Grey. <laughs> I liked that actually. Do you th- did you like kind of have a feeling he was gay the entire time? Do you, I think they were laying that on pretty heavy? Oh really? That's something that totally I no, I didn't at all. Well, to me, like I think, like I, I'm not trying to say that this is a good or a bad thing or it was suffering or like that, but. I was like, is this guy gay? Because they the way they kept portraying him, and specifically the fact that he made her dress, you know, um, how he didn't pay attention to her, kind of. And the way he's looking, like, he's not looking at her at the wedding, really. He's, like, looking at, like... He's more happy to be there, if that makes sense. Sure. Oh, he's a theater... He was a theater major, and he paid attention to her shoes? yeah. No, really. Like, and I'm not. I'm not saying. Oh, that's what I think of gay people. But I feel like this character had a lot of gay stereotypes that maybe we were supposed to find funny. Okay, I see that. I, that's more of a like subtle, like aha, than Max. You know, being diagnosed with Asperger's. But now you saying that that makes sense to me. Definitely. Yeah, probably on a second viewing, it's, it's something you might catch. Like now that, like knowing that he's gay, you know. Like I, th- I think we were trying to like get funny hints, for lack of a better word. Again, I don't I like. That's not necessarily true that all gay people are like that. I'm not sure that the the director is trying to say that, but it's definitely like kind of for better or worse. Here, he's kind of using gay stereotypes to imply that this possibly might happen later. Yeah, yeah, for this certain, you know, character that ends up being gay who later on leaves his wife. Yeah, that definitely those are like the clues I guess he's leaving to for us to understand why he does. I can't um, I can't be like making that up, you know? What I'm saying like No, I yeah, I agree. <laughs> like I feel I'd feel really guilty if I was. If you're like, "What the hell, man?" Like, you know, what are, are you a homophobe? <laughs> I'm like, "No, no, no, no. I'm just trying to like put no, I'm together. an agoraphobe. <laughs> yes, no, I'm an agoraphobe. Uh, sometimes, sometimes. Um, but yeah, M- M- Mary's self-esteem is an all-time high, and she writes this book. But this book is like she's at an all-time high, but this brings Max to not an all-time low. But it really upsets him that she writes this book that she even like has like his picture on and everything yeah it's it's a case study on him and it, it's fairly popular and she's really proud of it and she sends him the book and he's like devastated why do you think he was so upset um i mean it's one of those moments he's been writing to this girl since she was like eight years old and she's now i think she's supposed to be in her mid-20s or something late 20s at this point and so just the fact that it's one of those it's almost like the case in point I know we've like joked about this before but it's like when you got it like a cool uncle but then when you get older you realize oh he was kind of like lame (laughs) (laughs) so it's just like almost like that heartbreaking moment of like from his perspective of like this little girl that like he thought he was being helpful towards is like now has this whole very intelligent breakdown of why he is the way he is by the way we've discussed that because that is our fear you know, of being the cool uncle, and then that happens to us. It's not like we have those people in our lives. No, I, I don't. I don't. No, I want to make I've that. Seen, clear. But I've, but I've seen that. Yeah. You know, no. Exactly. And it's not just like I think a good example too is like the cool teacher. 
which we briefly quick said about doubt you know like that was for his character it's like he's the cool and you know like you know priest basketball coach guy that's like helping him out but yeah so so that, anyway. so that is good insight and I, I'll, I'll tend to agree with that 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 makes sense in terms of like he like he's a friend to her he wants to be but he also kind of he's older than her he kind of saw himself as kind of a mentor to her and and it's just that's that's kind of like oh it humanizes him to a different level because it's not like he didn't know he had Asperger's and he was shocked by the the diagnosis it just it's it was just a form of i mean betrayal to him and so uh he what he what he pulls out the m key from his typewriter is that what that was right yeah he he writes her like a nasty letter right mm-hmm and she goes into like he pulls out the M key. He doesn't want to write to her anyway. He goes into de- she goes into depression, like real depression. Yeah, she destroys all of her books. She starts drinking sherry. Like she's probably she's becoming her mother. And then Damien uh, leaves her for his uh, pen pal Desmond, who lives in New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. <laughs> uh, sheep farm. Sheep. A, and- a New Zealand stereotype there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so the film, you know, deals. Hey, it's he's stereotyping Australians. He's stereotyping New Zealands. Uh, uh, people with uh, Aspergers, or people with uh, or uh, homosexuals. So I don't know. Hey, uh, but this is yeah, yeah. So he that happens to Mary, and then Max is just very angry at this point and this is when he also he strangles a person that's the homeless person right that's polluting or something like that oh yeah um and then mary actually tries to kill herself but this is when i forget the neighbor's name did you say that before but it was it's the 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 agoraphobic number len i believe his name is len hillsop or something that's what i wrote yeah he he finally because uh um, Max decides to forgive her. To forgive her. So remember, before that, uh, Mary sends Max that can of condensed milk and says, "I'm sorry." Yes. And he kind of looks and at so- it, and he kind of. I like that, you know. Yeah, it just triggers his memory of like the little girl that she was and the friend and the only friendship that he's really ever had. I mean the woman I would I would almost consider that woman Ruby to be a friend of his, he, but I guess he He clearly didn't, you know? He clearly just saw her as like a thing. It's yeah, a blind neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I feel like she they certainly were friends in my mind, but I guess not to the level he wanted. I mean, he clearly built more of a connection to Mary. Yeah. Um and then he he writes her that letter. Well, he also starts smiling too, like you know. He does, yeah. He's a, which is a, it's a very creepy smile, but a smile nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, oh, why don't we play that last letter he sends to her, the one with warts and all. Dear Mary, please find enclosed my entire noblet collection as a sign that I forgive you. When I received your book, the emotions inside my brain felt like they were in a tumble dryer smashing into each other. The hurt felt like when I accidentally stapled my lips together. The reason I forgive you is because you are not perfect. You are imperfect. And so am I. 
All humans are imperfect. Even the man outside my apartment who litters. When I was young, I wanted to be anybody but myself. Dr. Bernard Hasselhoff said, if I was on a desert island, then I would have to get used to my own company. Just me and the coconuts. He said I would have to accept myself, my warts and all, and that we don't get to choose our warts. They are a part of us, and we have to live with them. We can, however, choose our friends. And I am glad I have chosen you. Dr. Bernard Hasselhoff also said that everyone's lives are like a very long sidewalk. Some are well paved. Others, like mine, have cracks, banana skins, and cigarette butts. Your sidewalk is like mine, but probably not as many cracks. Hopefully one day our sidewalks will meet and we can share a can of condensed milk. You are my best friend. You are my only friend. Your American pen pal, Max Jerry Horowitz. So yeah, what I was saying before is that uh, Mary was uh, almost... Like she was, she was going to kill herself, and then it's Len who, you know, remember she always had the mail sent to him. Uh, he comes over, he finally gets over his uh, agoraphobia and uh, wheels himself across the street with a with the package of the noblets. Yep, the, and, the noblets. Yes, and Mary answers the door, and she. I mean, well, uh, you know, that's the 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 clip you just heard. That's Max apologizing, and she becomes, you know, happy again and gets over, you know, obviously that he was angry at her and that uh, that Damien left. And all, oh, we also, when she was about to kill herself, we also found out that she was pregnant. They kind of did like a little shot of like showing a baby inside of her. Oh yeah, yeah, that too. Um, so in this, the final letter that we played the clip for that like inspired her not to kill herself. I, I don't know if you read this, but they said that was the hardest scene to film was uh, Max naked on that island. Oh, really? No, I didn't read that. Yeah, because water was very hard for them to do. I forgot what they had, what they used for water. It, it was a bunch of like KY jelly, like lubricant. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And and apparently that was like the most difficult because it, it's like an endless ocean and he's on a desert island like he describes. It's kind of kind of weird image too, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, this movie has plenty of weird images, that's for sure. Yeah, and then we get we get our ending. I mean, like I, he seems like happy or at least forced to be happy. They're both in a happy place, uh, and he's forgiven her. And then it just pretty much cuts to saying, one year later, and. Mary has a baby and she's now traveled to New York but this is the heartbreaking moment of she goes there and she finds out that Max has passed away that morning but she said you know peacefully and happy yeah and at first she's like super obviously upset but what she notices Mm -hmm. on the wall are like all 
or like around him and she like how much that max treasured her letters yeah she he has i mean he's always had the drawing of her that she did on his mirror and then some like other little mementos but then all along his ceiling are these laminated the letters that she sent over the years yeah and like it means so much to her and as much as it's like a death and a sad ending it feels kind of like a happy ending because even though they never got to meet in person it feels like they finally connect at that point if that makes sense you know like they're not meeting because she's like lying on his dead body but they are in a sense yeah i mean they're just two people that i've never met in person but they definitely had a great deep impact on one another's lives their story comes to a close like it just feels like there's closure which i didn't know if we were going to get in this film i thought it might just take a dark turn where they end up hating each other and that's how it ends you know or not hating each other yeah but since neither of us had seen this film before, this is yet an, actually another. I've, I've lost count, but this is a Philip Seymour Hoffman role that he uh, he dies in, in the movie. We gotta count on our final episode. We gotta get like some kind of count towards the end. Yeah, but he's yes another. Because even I don't, I don't even think when I did whatever the last episode that we we had done this. I don't know if I even included uh, uh, synecdoche. Synecdoche. I can never freaking pronounce it on this damn show. Uh, synecdoche. Nope. 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 Come on. You can do it. You can do it. Synecdoche. There we go. Synecdoche, New York. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I can say New York. New York. York. Um, Synecdoche, New York. Yeah. I don't think you counted that. No. So, more to add. But I, I loved, and I think this just really showed what the director just his biggest i mean all the themes he was dealing with but then there's just the one quote i didn't write down who said this but it's the god uh gave you know god gave us relatives you know thank god we can choose our friends so it's just a nice yeah sentiment yeah it's a great uh great little quote there for like i said a nice little film um yeah so, uh, us talking about it, does it make you like it a little more, or...? It, it, it hasn't necessarily... Like, I, I, it's not that I didn't enjoy the story, it's not that I didn't enjoy even the, the visuals, per se, it's just like the... Uh, just, I think that style, like the claymation <laughs> that, and that style, I'm just not a big fan of. That's what it com- kind of comes down to. Okay, fair, we're not going to change you, you don't have a heart. We get it. I don't. <laughs> it's one of my seven deadly sins from last week. Yes, um, heartlessness. <laughs> uh, but you, I mean, you, you, you definitely enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy it. Like, we, like this is something like I, I'd share with people. Like I said, like who I think would enjoy this animation style. I could think of the exact people that I would recommend this film to, and I'd recommend this to our fans because, again, like I said, this is the only film where. You, Again, not counting Arthur, but this is the only time you get to hear him do like <laughs> voice work like this, and he's great at it. I kind of wish he did more of it. Yeah, no, I, I, well, I would have loved to have seen him in uh, like um, against how uh, Wes Anderson has a second, uh, you know, stop motion kind of movie coming out. So yeah, I love dogs. Um, here, look. I don't want this guy, Philip Seymour and I don't want him in like movies like Shark Tale and stuff. Like, like, you know, like... Hey, if Shark Tale is good enough for the great director Martin Scorsese to do voice talents, 
I will let Philip Seymour Hoffman be in Shark Tale. Yeah, exactly. You know, like no, <laughs> that that was a travesty. <laughs> this is to me, that to me would be a travesty. Like I'm glad he didn't stoop to like those levels in terms mm-hmm. of like doing like that. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to diss people who do those films, but I just don't think they would have added anything to his career if that makes sense. Sure. Um, but this is to me a worthy addition to his canon. Oh, definitely. It's just, it's just another role of his that. Again, his fans can enjoy and just show his craft and his talent. So, Kyle, as we were kind of talking, I I looked up on the side to see what that song, because it was in my head, that keeps playing. The the upbeat one. The upbeat one. It's called Perpetuum... There's two U's, so Perpetuum Mobile by the Penguin Cafe Orchestra. I love that name, by the oh, way. Oh, the Penguin Cafe Orchestra. Yeah, I know you're very familiar the, the P- with them. <laughs> yeah, the, PC- the PCO. You're a big PCO fan. No, but they actually... So this song was also featured heavily in 500 Days of Summer, and that's where I'm thinking of it from. Oh, that was... You liked that movie a lot when it came out. I don't know if it if it's aged well with you. No, it's, it's still a good movie. I don't. It's, but it's funny, it's the same year. Wow, it's so weird that we're getting into like a time of, like, I clearly remember what I was doing that year. Yeah, yeah, that is weird. It, it's super weird. But yes, yeah, so, so so this is a, a song that, it's not like a score for the film, it's a song that's used uh, in a lot of films, actually. So, I mean, I, I really like the music in this film. Yeah, if it, if it will. Anything else you want to discuss about Marianne Max? Uh, it's, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I am just um I'm just a staunch on that uh, on on my in, what I, visually I enjoy from something that's animated stop motion claymation what have you but I really enjoyed the story uh Philip Seymour Hoffman did a uh, excellent vocal talent job on it so uh along with you I I know people that I would recommend this to and I will recommend it to all you Hoff fans out there if you haven't seen it yet um, and I, I rented it on Amazon. That's how I saw it. Yeah, I think it was free on Hulu. Um, I'd seen it other places. I, there is a YouTube cut, but I'm not sure how good it is. Uh, okay. I didn't even venture to. I just I'm just seeing it now. So yeah, I'm the I'm the I'm the big spender. Three ninety nine. <laughs> two nine two ninety. So do you want to discuss certain aspects of Max's life? Uh, atheism, Judaism. <laughs> um, uh, no, I'm not going dis- to discuss religion or politics. Oh, thank you. That's your next podcast, Religion and Politics by Kyle. Yeah, while well, I eat a sandwich. You will offend no one on that podcast. No, not at all. You're the least offensive human being. I really am. Anyone that gets offended by me is just cockamamie. <laughs> cockamamie. <laughs> <laughs> I can count on one hand how many times I've said that in my life, cockamamie. And that was a moment, that was the sixth moment in my life I've decided to use it. <laughs> Fair and somewhat appropriate. Uh, what do we What do we have next week, Kyle? Pirate Radio. Or what was the other title for this movie at one point? It has a British uh, title. It's a completely different title in England. Pirate Radio, The Boat That Rocked. Oh, The Boat, the boat That Rocked. That no, but that's what it was originally. Even uh, I remember because I was I was ex- it was actually I'm not joking. This was a film I was excited to see. Really, this was at a this was at a point where I really loved. Like it was no doubt about it. Phil Schneider Hoffman was my favorite actor, 
and it's the same director as Notting Hill, one of my favorite rom-coms of all time. Hmm. And it is a movie about like radio in the 60s, and I'm such an old soul, you know that when it comes to music, and the soundtrack for this movie is phenomenal, and then we will definitely be talking about it next week. Okay, Pirate Radio. Um, I've never seen it, so I'm... Uh, you're in for a treat. I kind of want to watch it with you. We rarely do that. We've only done that once or twice before for this. kind of want to watch it with you. I don't want you to influence me. Fine. Be a be a curmudgeon. <laughs> Another word you don't use often. No, but just cockamamie and curmudgeon. That's what this episode's brought to you. <laughs> so so just a fun fact, and I'm sure we'll reiterate it next week. So it's the boat that rocked uh, in England when it yes. when it did go uh, wide release. It was called Pirate Radio here, but maybe it was the boat that rocked when you saw the trailer. Um, yeah, there was an original trailer, and then I think it was delayed a little bit or something like God. that. In France, they changed it to Good Morning England, and in Germany, they changed it to Radio Rock Revolution. Interesting. <laughs> so many different titles usually don't work, but we can dis- hey. we can discuss that next week. Um, yes. So you can find next week's episode and today's episode, but you probably already found that considering you're listening on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, along with M-E. all the other great shows on there. So many new ones, so many good ones. They're, they're still on that lap one, I believe, of their Fast and Furious show, but I'm about to check out the Too Fast, Too Furious episode there because I have a soft spot for that one. Um, I like me some Suki. What? Uh, anything else on there? Um, oh, we're guesting. We guessed it on a couple shows, both separately and together. And those should be coming out soon. So definitely in the coming weeks and months, look out for our names on other people's shows uh, so we can ruin their podcasts as well as our own. Yeah, there's finally some... Uh cross promotion as far as us you know guesting on yeah i guessed it on whistle thinking and i had a blast previously but now we're kind of really getting into we're finally uh i guess being appreciated by our fellow cage club folk we're 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 made men now before we were just you know i think on the fringe i think people just assumed we were gonna fail no, I'm just joking. This is all completely Joey, Joey threatens to fire, fire us every week, so... Yeah, yeah, we get threatened to fi- be fired all the time. He's Jimmy Kimmel with never accepting Matt Damon on the show. <laughs> we're, we're, the, we're his Matt Damon. Yes. Again, we tease. Check our show out there and check, like, past episodes and stuff, because, um, you know, uh, if this is the first episode you've heard of our show, um, definitely... we appreciate it if you listen to all the others and listen to all the other great podcasts on cageclub.me yes and as well as checking us out always stay uncool Thank you. I believe in miracles. Such a